We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Coachable Podcast. Around here, we believe that life is the ultimate training ground for finding out what you are truly made of. I'm your host, Tori Gordon, high performance coach and breathwork facilitator. And each week, I share intimate conversations and inspirational stories from some of the world's most successful people. It's time to stop standing on the sidelines of your life and get your head and your heart back in the game. So take a seat, grab a pen, because you're going to want to take notes as I pull back the curtain on the tools, resources, and inspiration that you need to unlock your inner champion. What's up, you guys? Welcome back to the show. I'm so glad you're here for another week of the Coachable Podcast. I am so excited for this week's guest, Connor Beaton, who is the founder of Man Talks and is an international speaker. This organization is focused on men's health, wellness, success, and fulfillment, and he is a coach, teacher, speaker, podcast host, and he helps men and women from all over the world walk through their darkness and grow in the realms of mental clarity, relational communication, and actualizing their potential and in sexual intimacy. In this episode, Connor and I get into... What does healthy masculinity look like? How we as women fall into the trap of trying to take on the masculine role in our relationships and what does that do to our relational dynamics? How we can really call our men forward into healthy embodied masculinity and how we can surrender as women, not in a submissive way, but how we can really allow ourselves to receive as the feminine, um, and as women. So this is such a juicy conversation. And if you're watching this on YouTube, I'm so glad that you are. Make sure to subscribe to the channel and click the bell for all the notifications so you don't miss any of our episodes that come out. If you're listening to this on Spotify or Apple, please do me a favor and rate and review this show. That is the best way that you can Say thank you and make sure the show gets out to more listeners. It really helps me when you do this. So thank you in advance for choosing to really elevate this conversation and get it out to the people that need it. So in this conversation, we tackle some really important topics around healthy and wounded masculinity and how it's shaping our culture and our dating and uh, romantic relationships. So stay tuned. Before we jump into this week's episode, I do want to say 
thank you to our sponsor, Organifi, which is a line of organic superfood blends that offer plant-based nutrition and high-quality ingredients with less than three grams of sugar. I absolutely love Organifi because, as you guys know, I'm traveling these days across the country, and I need something that's convenient but works. And with their uh, incredible travel size packets, this works really, really well for me being on the go. You can get their Organifi greens, their Organifi red, or what I love, the Organifi gold, and make sure that not only does it taste good, but you're getting the superfoods that are essential for your diet to reduce stress and reset your morning into your routines. I absolutely love all of their products. So if you go to Organifi.com slash Tori Gordon and use the code Tori20, you will get 20% off all of your order. Connor, welcome to the show. I'm super glad you're here and excited to have this conversation. Welcome to the Coachable Podcast. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's uh, good good to be here and appreciate your work and I'm ready for some cool conversation mm. in this in this little dialogue. Yeah, I appreciate your work too. I, I came across it back in 2021 and really soaked up a lot of what you were saying and resonating with so much of what you uh, what you put out there. But I don't know a ton about you personally, and I would love to get mm. to know you just a little bit. Can you give me some background on who you were right before we were recording? You were telling me you were up in upstate New York and. Um, obviously I know that you are married and you have a little baby, but tell me kind of the gist of your background in terms of how did you get into the work that you do? Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll condense it down into as, you know, as short of a format as I can. (laughs) Uh, I mean, I, I grew up in Alberta, Canada, like Northern Canada and, um, Alberta is kind of the Texas of Canada, so there's lots of big trucks and lots of oil money and lots of cowboys and cowboy music and uh, or country music. And so that that just kind of paints a picture, except for six months out of the year, it's like minus 30 degrees Celsius. So wow. <laughs> it's freezing cold most of the time. Um, so, you know, I, I grew up as most Canadian boys do. I played hockey and I loved it. And... Um, yeah, I mean, how I got into the work that I mm-hmm. that I do, I, I think I've always been curious. You know, even as a boy, I grew up between two families. So my parents got divorced when I was three. They both got remarried in basically the, the same year. And then they both had a daughter within the same year. And then they both had a son within the same year. And so I grew up between these like two identical families. And they were all different. You know, like my dad and my stepdad were polar opposites and my mom and my stepmom were polar opposites. And so I grew up viewing polarity. Mm. You know, I grew up seeing differences in people and I grew up with a real curiosity for what made people different and and like what made people tick and why they made decisions that they made. And, mm-hmm. you know, all that kind of stuff was just wildly fascinating to me. Like, you know, shit that most kids are not thinking about. Yeah. Um, but flash forward, you know, many years later, I, you know, had a decent career. I was traveling the world. I had the toys, you know, I had the motorcycle and the Mustang and the girlfriend. And on the outside, I had built this sort of life that I thought that men should have, which it looked successful from the outside, but behind the scenes, it was a disaster. Like I was a wreck. Um, I was a chronic cheater. Mm-hmm. You know, I had addiction problems and I was miserable and I really just didn't like who I was, you know, and, and I didn't really know who I was in, in some, some degree. 
Um, I had some abuse and some trauma in my childhood that I really hadn't dealt with mm. and it bubbled to the surface and you know my life as I knew it fell apart you know I my girlfriend found out I had been having I'd been cheating and I was questioning my career and everything sort of imploded mm. all at once um, and I hit the the sort of rock bottom place I was too proud to tell people what was going on in my life so none of my friends or my family knew mm. So I packed up all my stuff, moved it into storage, lived out of the back of my car for a few weeks, uh, and finally pulled my head out of my ass and decided that, you know, the path that I was going down was not a good one. And when I say pulled my head out of my ass, I mean, you know, I, I really had a lot of sleepless nights crunched up in the back of my two-door coupe trying to figure out how my life had gone so wrong, yeah. you know, and and why I was in that position and there was a lot of dark thoughts you know there's a there was a lot of dark thoughts but when I started to come out of that two things happened that put me on this path number one I had a conversation with a really close friend of mine where I disclosed everything um, as Carl Jung says confession is the first step in the therapeutic process mm -hmm. and so I just sort of let everything out and I told him everything that was going on and he broke down crying mm -hmm. and told me that he had tried to commit suicide two months before. And so I realized, you know, in that moment, I was like, how do I know everything about you? You know, I know what you like to drink. I know what you like to eat. I know the type of women that you like to date. I know the TV shows that you like to watch. But I didn't know that you were dealing with this darkness. Yeah. And same thing with me. You know, he knew everything about me outside of arguably one of the most important aspects of who I was, you know, what I was struggling with. Yeah. And when I started to connect with other men in my life, I realized that so many of the men in my life were not only dealing with something that they hadn't disclosed, but that the conversations and the connection, the bond that most of us had were quite surface level, mm -hmm. you know, and I hated that. Yeah, I really disliked it because I saw the the detriment and the impact that it was having on most of us, myself and all the men that I knew. And so I wanted to create a different conversation. I wanted to support other men and create an environment where, where we could not have to hide certain aspects of ourselves to feel manly or masculine, that we could actually develop a more robust, mature version of masculinity. Mm -hmm. And so that was the one part. And the second part was I was fortunate enough to have a mentor in my life. Um, who was in my previous career, who was well-versed in Jungian psychology and cognitive behavioral therapy and uh, Zen and Buddhism nice. and, you know, neuro-linguistics programming. Mm -hmm. And he was in his mid-70s. And so I, after my rock bottom, thankfully, I had somebody in my life who, in his words, believed in me more than I believed in myself. Mm -hmm. And is still, I mean, that moves me still just to say that, you know, 10, 12 years later. Yeah. Um, but I would spend the next two and a half years of my life mentoring with him, apprenticing with him, and learning different therapeutic modalities in exchange for, you know, paying him when I could. And then, you know, working on his farm, planting asparagus, chopping wood, mm -hmm. <laughs> doing stuff that at, at like 75, 76, he couldn't do anymore. Um, so that that's what put me on this path. Those are some of the things that, yeah. that sort of put me on this trajectory. Fascinating. You know, I, I talked to a lot of really interesting people on the show and all of them tend to have this common 
theme, which everybody's had a rock bottom moment, right? And I certainly, you know, I started the show from my rock bottom moment to kind of climb myself out of that dark place and, and really discover myself again. So so that's definitely a through line I, I hear for people that are really showing up powerfully and serving from a deep place of sincere, like sincerity and, and doing powerful work. Because I think one of the attributes of a healthy embodied masculine is, is service, right? And, and mm. finding where can I serve and how do I serve and who do I serve? Uh, one thing that you touched on that I'd love to just jump into, and I think will be a good place to start this conversation is around friendship because I've noticed, and obviously I'm not a man, but I've noticed at least with, with the men in my life and those that I've worked with, because I, I actually work with a, a fairly large number of men that come to, into my programs, but men generally lack close male friendships, um, mm -hmm. you know, where they're challenged, they're supported, they're seen and accepted, but they're also called forward and, and invited into growth. Um, to your point that, you know, you found that some of your friendships that you would say, these are my best friends, but it's also sort of surface level. Why do you think that is that men are, are lacking that support from other men? Yeah. I mean, it's a huge question. Um, and the more that I've done this work with men, you know, thousands of men from all over the world, the more that I've sort of peeled back the layers on that, but I'll, I'll say a couple of things. One, um, part of it's because of what I call the one rule of men, which is very similar to the first rule of fight club, which is you don't talk about fight club, mm -hmm. right? So the one rule of men is you don't talk about what it's like to be a man, specifically a man who is suffering or struggling, right? So if, if you are, if you are a man who's going through a divorce, uh, you don't talk about what that's like. If you're a man that's going through financial hardship, you don't talk about what that's like. If you are a man that's going through anything that might make you look weak in some way, shape or form, specifically to other men and almost more specifically to women, mm -hmm. you don't talk about those things. So financial ruin, heartbreak, health issues, you know, mental health challenges, all of those things fall under the one rule of men. And so a lot of guys like myself abide by that rule with the notion that they should figure it out by themselves, that there is somehow that your man card will, your manliness is dependent on your capacity to go through hard shit alone. Mm. And this is a byproduct of us having stripped initiatory processes out of our culture. Yeah. So becoming a man, if, if you look at any other culture historically throughout time, becoming a man was not granted or sorry, it was granted, right? It wasn't something that just happened magically. It was it's something you hit that, 18. Um, right. Yeah. It's like, you know, there were very, there were very specific trials and tribulations that mm -hmm. a man had to go through in order to do a few things, right? Help him understand how to metabolize pain, mm -hmm. help him understand how to lead himself through hard situations, regulate his system, 
come into contact with death in a way. And almost more importantly, the last two things that initiation did for a lot of boys and men was, number one, give them an experience that forced them into a position of powerlessness. Uh, There's a great quote by Richard Rohr, who's a, a Franciscan monk, and he says something along the lines of, Uh, When a man hasn't experienced contained powerlessness, he will always abuse power. Mm. So we as men need to have a right relationship with power and initiation was meant to do that. And the last thing is help a man unequivocally experience, right? Experience, not know cognitively or rationally, but experience that he is part of an ecosystem, that he is a part of something much larger and much greater than just his individual rational mind, mm-hmm. which we can get stuck in. And so in our culture, we have over-indexed and over-prioritized rationality. And men are suffering greatly because of that, because they can't get out of their fucking minds, right? Yeah. They're trapped. They're literally incarcerated. They are imprisoned in their rational mind and they mentally masturbate all day long thinking about their problems, thinking about their women, thinking about the world, thinking about everything that's around them, but never really experiencing it, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, a lot of men that come and work with me, they say things like, you know, my girlfriend tells me that I don't understand her, or my woman tells me that I, you know, I'm I'm not present, I'm distracted. Like, what is she even talking about? You know, I'm with her all the time. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, you're there physically, right. but she can feel your preoccupation with your rational mind. So right. anyway, so those are some of the, so those are th- some of the things that I think have led to the place that we're at and, and, you know, no fault to, to men necessarily. You know, I think that this has just kind of happened through a number of things. I think modernity has certainly um, done a toll on men and masculinity in a, in a number of ways, but that's maybe for a different conversation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think you touch on some really important points. One that, that most men perceive any negative human experience as something they need to, to keep to themselves that I can't share mm-hmm. that. And what, what touched me there is that shame loves to hide, right? Anything that we mm-hmm. feel shame around, we don't want to share it. And that's the, that's the trick is that we've been taught we need to, to like keep the, hide these things in secrecy. But to your point earlier, what freed you was sharing that with somebody and confessing Mm -hmm. that to somebody. And I think part of that is teaching our boys now what it looks like to be vulnerable and that it's safe to be vulnerable, which for likely their, you know, their dad's entire lives, they've been told that's not safe, right? It's not safe Mm -hmm. to share because you'll be shamed for it publicly, not just privately by yourself. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of, I think a lot of us men have been sold a very one dimensional version of courage, Mm. you know, this, this, this sort of very thin version of what it means to be courageous, um, that has been sold through modern media and war, et cetera. Yeah. And courage is a, you know, a number of things. I like Brene Brown's notion that courage and vulnerability cannot exist independently, right? They are inextricably mm-hmm. linked. They are interconnected. And so to be courageous is to be vulnerable. And to be vulnerable is to be courageous. 
And so, mm-hmm. you know, I think for a lot of men, in going back to this idea of uh, friendship and brotherhood, I think that a lot of men have this idea or this notion baked into their male friendships that they need to be perceived as invulnerable in order to be the alpha, in order to be the leader, in order mm-hmm. to be respected. And it's false. You know, it's not true. And I think it's it's more increasingly not true in the rise of a hyper information oriented, hyper connected culture where men require um, a different type of intelligence. Right. They need to have emotional intelligence in order to survive. You know, like that's a requirement nowadays. Mm -hmm. And so I think what's happened to a lot of male friendships is that they've fallen into this competition orientation where men are, you know, if you listen to guys at a bar, for example, and I used to, I used to go out to the bar all the time. I grew up, like I said, in Edmonton, like, you know, Tuesdays were 25 cent draft nights at Cowboys. Like that's, (laughs) that's what I was doing. I was hitting the bars and drinking cheap, (laughs) shitty beer. And, you know, if you, if, if I think back to those times of the conversation, the conversation was all oriented around me competing with my buddies, you know, and that competition was about money and it was about women Mm -hmm. and it was about physical strength. And when you are competing with somebody, what are you not allowed to do? You're not allowed to share your weaknesses, right? That's dumb, right? That's just not good competition. You don't tell the other person or the other party where you're weak. And so because most of the male-oriented relationships that we have in our society today are built off of competition, not that it's bad, right? Not that men shouldn't and can't compete. I think that's wonderful. Mm -hmm. I still compete in some areas. But I don't compete with the men who are in my trusted circle, the men who are on the round table with me, you know, Mm -hmm. who know the intricacies of my life. I don't compete with them. I celebrate with them. I celebrate my financial wins. I celebrate my relational wins. I celebrate my spiritual wins, all of those things. But I also share where I'm weak. I also share my greatest challenges. Mm -hmm. And it's with them that I can face those challenges. You know, it's why King Arthur had the Knights of the Round Table. It's because he realized he couldn't build a kingdom right and and here when i say kingdom i don't mean you know a country i i i mean a kingdom in the sense of like your family mm-hmm. or your life you know that can be a kingdom so you still need other men in your corner to be able to talk about the challenges that you go through but if yeah. you feel like you're constantly competing with them then there's no space for them to challenge you there's no space for them to hold you accountable mm-hmm. there's no space for them to call you forward And so I think the shift that we're seeing for a lot of men in our culture is that they're shifting from these hyper competition based uh, friendships to more challenge based friendships. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I run something called the Alliance and we've got, you know, almost 400 men from around the world in there and they challenge one another. Right. They push one another. They confront one another. They practice calling one another forward into the better version of one another right Mm -hmm. and saying i see you i see who you are i see who you say you're capable of being and now i'm going to hold your ass accountable to that yeah that's uncomfortable (laughs) you know but it's also it's also incredible it's also what uh we as men crave Mm. yeah and need we need that we need more men that have men 
in their circle. Because I think for a lot of women, we have felt the need to compensate for that lack. And, mm-hmm. and that has, as a byproduct, has created a lack of polarity in a lot of relationships, right? Where we step into the dominant, uh, like, place. We start to step in more into our masculine because we're in a hyper-competitive culture in general the Mm -hmm. empowerment of women is is great and also i think there's a lot where we have now um swung to the other side of that pendulum where a lot of women are myself included have always been considered very hyper independent not Mm -hmm. needing anybody that was something that was you know i was told our little little girls of my age are told you can be anything you want to be you don't need a man all those things and there's a shadow side to that and so learning how now mm-hmm. into relationships how to allow and trust a man to lead while also not letting that mean he's reigning over me in his kingdom right that as as we build a kingdom whether it's a family or a relationship or whatever that that i'm not being kind of reigned over, but I can Mm. surrender to that leadership. And that's a dynamic that I see is playing out, um, all around me. (laughs) And I'm interested in your take on that for, for women who have been independent their whole lives. How do we, as women learn how to surrender and to receive and to trust the masculine, um, and allow them to lead and not feel Mm. like that's taking something away from us yeah again (laughs) you know it's a it's a bit of a conundrum right because most modern women are told as you've said to be hyper independent to not need a man and that narrative that story is likely what pushes men away who want to lead Hmm. right that operating from that place of i don't need you um, in my life, there's nothing, there's almost nothing more detrimental to a man than knowing that he's not needed, right? A man wants to contribute, use the word service before I would use the word contribute. Mm-hmm. A man feels purpose, feels the depth of his purpose in wor- in the world through his capacity to contribute to his partner to his children, to his friends, to his family, to his community, to the world, etc. Mm. So when you get into a relationship with a man, whether you say it indirectly or, or not, whether you say it directly or indirectly, if you're operating from that place of, I don't need you, it's going to come through through your behaviors, through your actions. So I would say, and I'm not speaking to you directly, I'm just saying sure. you as like general, but right. I would say where do you begin, you know, where do women begin in terms of embracing their feminine and um, being able to dive in with men in this way? I would say a few things. One, look at where that narrative came from. So get to the root of the origin of that narrative. You know, who told you that? Mm -hmm. Was it your mom who endured an abusive relationship with your father for too long and, and never really healed from that marriage uh, and so sort of adopted the viewpoint that all men are assholes and evil and shitty Um, was it you know a social narrative that told you uh, that as a woman you you needed to be hyper dominant and assertive 
uh, and to never back down and to sort of be very masculine in your orientation in order to survive in the world, right? So get to the core of that origin. The mm -hmm. second piece is to heal your wounds with the masculine. So, yeah. you know, a lot of women have been in relationships with men who have been immature, who haven't known how to lead, who have abused their power, who have, you know, acted immaturely and mm -hmm. gone against their word and broken trust with them. And so being able to look back at your past and saying, you know, where do I have mistrust that has been built into me of the masculine, of men, and being able to heal that and work on that actively, I think is important. And then thirdly, beginning to communicate to a man how you want him to contribute. You know, being able to say, here's where you fit in my life. And here's how, here's what I would love for you to contribute to me. Not, and that's not, I'm not talking about like financially. I'm talking about like, right. I want your presence. I want to feel you sexually in this way. I want to explore this with you. You know, I want to see this, these parts of the world with you and go on these types of adventures with you. Like all of those things, when you start to define that for yourself, that is an act of surrender, right? Mm -hmm. That is a kind of like, I want to receive your contribution, your presence, your time, um, yeah. your energy, your sexuality in these ways. And to be able yeah. to communicate that also presses you into a place of vulnerability, right? Because yeah. it really is you standing in your feminine saying, here's how I want to receive from you. And for a mm -hmm. man, that's, that's beautiful, right? There's so much beauty and attraction that's baked into that because then we feel your vulnerability. And mm -hmm. that creates desire, right? That creates that polarity. And yeah. And it's also in those moments where you'll meet the truth of a man. You know, yes. I think when, when a woman is vulnerable with a man and she's actually able to step into that, that space and that place of here's, here's how and what I really desire to receive from you. Here's how I want you to contribute to me and my life is where you really meet a man. You know, mm -hmm. does he become squirrely and needy? You know, yeah. does he act childish? Does he fly off the handle and become defensive? Okay. Uh, you know, does he think that those are, are impossible asks? Or right. does, is he able to stay grounded and say, okay, tell me more about that. That sounds yeah. wonderful. It's not what I expected from you. Or, wow, I really, I really like that. I find that's hot. You know, it's attractive. Mm. So being able to see how does he respond in those moments? Because you may have labeled him as not embodied, as not mm. grounded, as you may have a lot of questions about him um, for a number of reasons. And so entering into that space, being vulnerable in that way, opening up, being soft in that way can tell you a lot about who a man is. Yeah, I would completely agree because I think that invitation is saying, hey, this is what I'm asking for. This is what I'm inviting. Like, this is how you can how you can contribute mm -hmm. in a way that's going to really connect with me. And then now there's, there, there's this initiation that's been offered in this intention that's been set and a man either meets you there in that space or he doesn't. Mm -hmm. Right. And he can either step forward into that role or then some other dynamics might show up. And, and that is a very clarifying time in a relationship when you make the ask 
and they're able to step into it or, or they're not. I know I've had those experiences in my own relationships in the past. And instead of letting that inform me on where the relationship stood, I, in my past, I have learned, I, over, I compensated for his mm-hmm. lack of stepping forward. I took on those roles. Mm-hmm. myself. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things I've had to see within myself. And again, that came from childhood of seeing, okay, did I grow up with a passive father or mm-hmm. a very, you know, more assertive father? And how does that show up in my own relationships and dynamics? I think it's really important. Yeah. I just, I want to say one more thing on that. I think, you know, I, sure. again, I think that a lot of women in our culture have been taught to have a more masculine forward orientation, right? And so what I mean by this is that how they present externally, how they interact with men, with their friends is quite masculine in nature, but internally there's this very deep feminine desire, right? And I think that a lot of women are like, I want you to see this. I want Mm -hmm. you to tend to this. I want you to understand that this is my this is my desire. This is what I crave. You know, like I want Mm -hmm. to feel soft and playful and I I want to surrender to you sometimes and have, you know, what I desire and, you know, all those pieces, but because of the masculine forward orientation, what happens for most women is that they get into a relationship and because that's so solidified, sometimes they don't want to move out of that space and it puts it, their partner then says, okay, well, I'll just move into this more feminine forward orientation. It creates all sorts of conflict, sure. right? Cause it's like, well, now you don't know my needs and now you don't want what I want sure. all those pieces. And so someone has to step in first. Mm-hmm. Right. And it, it, it's sort of, it's not necessarily relevant about who steps in first. I think it's the job of both people. Um, but you know, if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably listening for, what action can you take? You know, what can you actually do? And so maybe it's you that takes the step to say, I'm going to let some of those more feminine oriented um, parts of me come forward and be present and be seen and to communicate those parts, even though it feels vulnerable and scary and all of those different, you know, all those different experiences to let that come forward and let that be expressed can be incredibly, incredibly powerful. And same with the men that are listening to this, right? To step forward and say, you know what? I feel like we're uh, fighting for the masculine seat in this relationship, you know, which I see so often in relationships. Like my wife is a marriage and family therapist. And Mm -hmm. so she and I have had a lot of opportunities of working with couples together. And so often, not, not, all relationships, but so often what's happening is that there's this conflict for who's going to take the masculine seat in the relationship and not everywhere. You know, it's not that like one person is making all the decisions and ruling over, right? Just like you were saying, that's, that's not it, but that someone's creating the direction, you know, that's, that's what my wife has described. You know, when we started Mm -hmm. dating, um, she described to me this experience of her for the first time knowing the direction that we were going, that I was creating direction mm-hmm. for our relationship. I had direction for myself. There is direction for us. And mm-hmm. there was a pace to that direction, like how fast we were moving or how yeah. slow we were going. And all of that was being communicated. And she's like, for mm-hmm. me, like that was so relaxing because right. she had always tried to do that in relationships, right? 
And this is where a lot of challenges happen in the relationship where, where oftentimes a woman will say, you know, we have to go at this speed or this pace, or this right. is the direction that we're going. And the man becomes resistant. And so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that's so, so true. And I think, um, what I hear too, is a lot of women, uh, men feel controlled by women. And what I've, I think it's a Glennon Doyle quote, which says that we, um, we control what we don't trust. Mm -hmm. And if I don't trust because maybe my past experiences have given me evidence of this, that I, um, when I do make my requests known, I'm not met or my needs aren't met or I don't trust that, um, you know, this, this guy will be able to provide in the ways that I need. Or so I feel like I need to control everything that he does. I need to like, make sure it's happening the way I want it to happen because if he doesn't do it, I've got to do it. Right. And I'll just, again, the overcompensation. And so I think part of, of healing this is like you said, it's recognizing that I'm not ruling and reigning over the entire relationship, but sometimes that leadership can look like just initiating those conversations and saying, mm -hmm. Hey, let's create some intention around this together. Mm -hmm. And this is what I'm thinking. And now like, what are you, what are you thinking about it? And just bringing that to the forefront instead of everything being kind of a reactive way of leading the relationship of like, we're just going with the flow and I don't know what this really is. And there's nothing, there's like, we haven't defined anything, what our, you know, what our needs are, what we're doing here. And that can feel very unsafe. And so if we don't feel safe, we don't trust this, then we're just going to try and, and like try to perfect our circumstances in any way. And that comes off as, as control, I think mm. as a, for a lot of men. Yeah. I mean, Jung, uh, Carl Jung had a great quote where he said, where there is power, there is no love, right? Mm. So where, where we seek to have power, we are out of love. We're disconnected from it. And mm -hmm. leadership specifically in a relationship is not about power, right? You might play with power dynamics sexually in the bedroom. That's fine, right? You can explore sure. all kinds of things within power dynamics within the bedroom. And that's totally, that's great for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. But relationally leadership is not about power leadership is about where is this love going where's this intimacy going where's the where where are the where's the divergence of our two individual paths going and how are we making decisions you know one of the things that i tell couples um when i first start working with them is do you have conflict relational conflict agreements do you have agreements about how you're going to operate in conflict? Most people don't, right? So there's right. no order. There's no structure right. in the relationship. It's just a shit show, it's right? Chaos. And like, yeah. it's like this person said that and she said that and he did this and, you know, it's finger pointing and it's just, it's chaos. And so, mm -hmm. you know, part of that relational leadership is can you make decisions for the relationship that are going to develop structure and order for the relationship itself? for the other person so that both parties know how they're operating so that there's agreements in place so that there's intention in place and all of that's going to create direction, right? Something else that you can do is yeah. how do we make decisions as a couple? What does that look like? You know, is there a process in place when all else fails? Because the reality is, is that if you're in a long-term relationship with somebody, you as a couple are going to have to have some very, very challenging discussions and you're going to have to make some really fucking hard decisions in life. 
You know, I think that yeah. the pandemic has forced couples into making decisions far before and, and much harder decisions than they thought that they would have to make before they would have to make them. And yeah. if you don't have a basic process in place or structure in place for how you as a couple make decisions, that's going to put even more duress, duress and, and, and strain on the relationship. So, you know, if you are the more masculine oriented person within your relational dynamic, then maybe saying, hey, you know what, let's sit down and create some agreements for how we're going to show up in conflict. You know, that doesn't have to be the man. Anybody can do that. Um, mm -hmm. Let's sit down and talk about how we make decisions as a couple. You know, I'd love to understand that better. And again, yeah. you're going to get a better understanding of your person in these conversations and how they respond, how they react, um, all, mm -hmm. all of those different pieces. So I, I just say, like, mm -hmm. build some of those things in because that's yeah. going to help build the structure and the foundation of, of your relationship. I love that. Practical tools. Yes, I love, mm -hmm. I love that. That's super helpful. Okay, I want to ask you a question. And I want it's sort of a fill in the blank um, and see what comes through for this. So a core feminine need that's often not met by the masculine. <laughs> what do you think that being understood one might be being understood? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Why do you think that's so challenging? Uh, <laughs> I think it's challenging because from a, again, from a contribution standpoint, and I can, I can speak to my experience and the experience of the men that I've, that I've worked with, but that doesn't mean that that's the experience of every man. When a woman comes to me and she says, I am hurt, okay, by something you said, or I'm in pain, I feel, I feel embarrassed, I feel disconnected, I feel hurt by something that my mom did or my friend said or my boss did. Mm -hmm. Our natural hardwired response is I want to protect you. Like it's, I can't explain it other than something physically, emotionally, psychologically, and spiritually happens within my being that tells me I want to move into a protection modality for you. And I don't think that that's a bad thing, but I think that what then happens after that, because we in our culture have over-prioritized rationalization is we move into solutioning and problem solving. And right. then we're fucked, right? Because then we have no idea what you're experiencing. Mm -hmm. We're just moving into a place where we are trying to solve your problem, but we don't actually understand your problem, right? Because we mm -hmm. don't understand what you're experiencing. There's a mm -hmm. great quote by Einstein. He said, the rational mind is a faithful servant and the intuitive mind is a sacred gift. But we've created a culture that honors the servant and has forgotten the gift. And so yeah. we as men have forgotten our intuitive intelligence. We've forgotten mm -hmm. how to connect with that. And so all that we have is this kind of over-reliance on rationality, which means that when you come to us and you say, I'm hurt, our only, our only tool is our rational mind, right? Most men's only mm -hmm. tool is their rational mind to say, well, how do I fix this problem for you, right? How do I make things better with yeah. your mom or with your boss? What advice can I give you? You know, what tactical resource can I provide you right. with? But we don't actually go on to intuitively inquire with, 
what did you experience when I said that, when she did that, when she forgot to message you, when your boss told mm -hmm. you that? What did you actually feel? You know, that sounds that yeah. sounds challenging. You know, you, you said that you felt disconnected. You know, is that right? What was that like? Mm -hmm. And yeah. go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, because the visualization that came through is if a woman is sharing that from her heart mm -hmm. and a man's interpreting that and responding from the head, mm -hmm. we're it, that's why we feel like we're missing each other so often. Mm -hmm. It's like we want to connect heart to heart or head to head sometimes. Yep. But like a lot of times we're c connecting like head to heart and we're just completely missing each other. And then again, we feel misunderstood. So going back to even what you were talking about courage earlier and Brene Brown's definition of it, courage requires the heart and it requires you not being like courage doesn't happen in your mind. It happens in your heart mm -hmm. and being in that experience with your partner. Yeah. And because most men are over relying on the rational mind, they live here, you know, they live in their head. Right. And they're disconnected from their physical body. They're disconnected from their emotional body, from their heart body, um, from their intuitive body. And so it's very challenging for them to, to connect in that way. And, you know, I think mm -hmm. that's part of the, I think that's part of the loneliness that a lot of men experience is that, mm -hmm. you know, they, a lot of men have been isolated from their own emotions and they feel stuck with them. And the only thing that they can really experience is anger, you know? And so there's mm -hmm. a bit of like unconscious, uh, do I want to go there? Yeah. Okay. I'm going to go there. There's a bit of unconscious resentment that can come up in some men when their woman is expressing real emotions. That's a bit like, yeah. I don't get to feel that way. You know, I don't have that freedom. Yeah. I don't have the freedom that you have to express emotionally. And so not mm -hmm. only do I not know how to deal with your emotions that you are very freely expressing to me, but I'm mad at you for doing so because I don't yeah. have that right. You know, I don't have. Well, because you're mirroring me, you're mirroring back to me what I don't feel like I feel like imprisoned by uh -huh. and that, that I can't yeah. do. Right. Cool. And I'm almost as much as I might be resentful, I might be envious at the same time. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Like that I wish I had that freedom that I could felt safe to express and that that would be acceptable. Yeah. So, so yes, I'm like, how far down the rabbit hole do I want to go with this one? Yeah. But, you know, I think part of it is that women are mirrors for men's relationship to their own feminine. And mm -hmm. so how a, a man treats his woman in a heterosexual context, in a, in a heterosexual relationship is how he treats his own feminine orientation. So if oh, he wow. sees his yeah. woman as the bane of his existence and his problems or, you know, as overly needy or, you know, really emotional or, you know, whatever he says about his girlfriend, wife, etc., is almost always a really good indicator into how he views his own unconscious mind, his own unconscious yeah. contents, because within men, that's where their feminine orientation is. And yeah. generally speaking, most men, unless they're, unless they're very feminine forward orientation, but for most men who feel very feminine internally, that's usually the case. And mm -hmm. so for a man to, under, to really understand his partner requires him to go on some form of a journey 
to un- understand his own feminine nature, his own heart space, his own emotions. Mm. And for a lot of men, that's so wildly terrifying. You know, I've worked with CEOs and multimillionaires and I mean, you know, athletes and rock stars and all of them say the same thing when we start doing the work of going into their anxiety and their sadness and the grief that they've experienced mm-hmm. in their life. Will how will I do my job if I let this part out? You know, how mm-hmm. will I operate in the world? Like how will I be in board meetings and make rational decisions for budget cuts, you know, and having to lay people off once mm-hmm. I actually open myself to my real emotional body. And it's like, well, that's the point of living, man. You know, like mm. that's the whole fucking point of what you are, what your work is to do as a man is to open yourself to the emotional hardship of your life and to feel it all and to make yeah. your decisions anyway, you know, to interact anyway. Mm. So yeah, I just wanted to drop that. That's in there. so good. So good. Okay. Two more questions and we'll wrap this up. Okay. So what is a core masculine need that's often not met by the feminine? Well, in our modern culture, it's kind of what we've been talking about, which is the capacity to contribute and provide, you know, again, not that doesn't always have to mean financially, you know, you can be Mm -hmm. the strong, independent woman who makes millions of dollars and and financially doesn't need a man. But to actively create a place for him to provide for you in your life and to be Mm -hmm. really clear on that and to say, here's here's what's the most meaningful thing for me that you can provide me with that you can contribute to my life that that I just I can't not that I can't get anywhere anywhere else, but I really deeply crave it from you. It's like, oh, yes, <laughs> that it's like, mm. yes, that's it. You know, it's like, yeah, green light, green, green light. I was going to call it an emotional hard on, but I don't I don't know how much we want to put that out there on your show. Well, there we go. I I'm, I'm like, I've already sworn yeah. a swore a whole bunch on your yes. show. So hopefully this is OK. It's all it's all welcome here. Yeah. And the last thing I really want to ask you is how I know I know you have a um, a new baby at home. Mm. How has becoming a father changed you as a man? Mm. You know, I think um, in every way, shape, and form. You know, I think it it couldn't not change me in every way possible. You know, I. I wrote before my son was born, I wrote a letter to him and the letter, I don't know if I'll ever give it to him, but the letter was really a kind of me processing what it meant for me to step into this stage of my life. You know, how does one bring a child into today's world with all of the chaos, with all of the uncertainty, with all of the hatred and the polarization and everything that's out there, you know, how do I as a man raise a son and what do I want him to know? I mean, it, it just brought up, you know, it opened sort of Pandora's box of questions for me. Um, it brought me into contact with the letting go of my own freedom in a way, a part of my freedom, you know, this sort of adolescent masculine freedom to want to be able to go and do whatever the fuck I wanted, whenever I wanted, however I wanted with whoever I wanted, you know, I lived that life for a while and I really liked it. Um, but that was a period in my life and to be a parent, especially to be a father to a son is to 
hold on to the fact that part of your role is to adventure out into the world, you know, to show your children that it's okay to adventure out into the world and, and create experiences and, and take risks and do these types of things, but that you come back, you know, and you create that grounding. And so, I, I mean, I think it's, I think it's done those things and I think it's thrust me into a place of maturity, you know, of wanting to really ground Francis, a, a, a colleague and I guess acquaintance and somebody that I really respect and admire, Francis Weller, would say that soul work is to grow deeper into ourselves, to grow down into ourselves. And that seems to be the orientation of the growth that I'm interested in now having a son is how can I grow down? How can I plant roots? How can I have depth to my being and my life in a way where it can be a solid foundation for, for him, you know, to have, to have a rooted solid place in a fucking mad world, you know, in a chaotic place. Um, and to give that to him, I think is the utmost important thing. I think it's the most important thing I could do with my life now you know, outside of my purpose of what I do with man talks and the, and the work that I do with men. And so mm. that was unexpected. You know, I really didn't see it coming. Um, but, you know, I think that children bring us gifts that we will never know until, until they're there, you know, so it's, it's kind of a yeah. unspeakable thing. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, thank you for your work. Thank you for how I know you will lead that little boy and the initiate, you know, like the initiatory like processes that you'll create for him. And, um, you know, it gives me hope that we have men like you leading our younger generation and they're growing up with fathers that have an example of what it means to be an embodied, healthy man. So thank you for just coming on the show and sharing this conversation. This was really, really powerful. And I know will serve everybody who's listened. So how can people get to know you more and learn more about, um, the work that you're doing if they want to contribute in their own way by being part of your community? Yeah. I mean, I think the easiest way is just mantalks.com. Um, or I'm probably the most active, active on Instagram and it's just at mantalks. Um, I try and do a couple Q and A's every week and lives when I can. And, all, all that jazz. And then if you're interested, I have, yeah. you know, I have a YouTube channel and podcast as well, where I dive into some of these conversations. So if you enjoyed this, yeah. definitely check that out. Yeah, we'll put all of that in the show notes, make it super easy for you guys to go connect with Connor. Um, you're welcome back anytime. Thank you. If you want to go deeper, we can. Thank you so much for joining me. Till next time, you guys go be coachable. We'll see you next week on the coachable podcast. You guys, if you love this show, do me a favor. Please subscribe to the podcast. And if you feel called, leave a review. I would love to hear how the show is impacting you. But not only that, be a hero to somebody and share it with somebody in your life that needs to hear it. If you're getting value from it, I can guarantee it that someone else that you know would get value as well. And honestly, I wouldn't be here. If somebody didn't share with me a podcast episode a couple years ago that absolutely changed my life and set me on the course that I am today, and I'm eternally grateful for that person, and you can be that person to someone else. So share it, share the love, because 
you matter, they matter, and what you have to say matters. So I would love to hear if there's something in this episode that really stands out to you and is a ha- aha moment, send me an email to media at torygordon.com. Let me know what it was that stuck out to you. What was your aha moment? Maybe where and around what time in the podcast that really spoke to you because my team and I love to hear that. We love to see and hear exactly what is speaking to your heart and it helps us to serve you better. So please like, subscribe, share. You are helping this podcast continue to grow and get out to larger audiences that can help shape the world and bring more and light, love and healing to it. So thank you for your contribution and let's get on to the podcast. 